0: All right, we're going to go into uh, we're going to go into a, a series that I call "In or Out." Uh, it's through the Book of Galatians. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a uh, uh, context, I don't want to spend a ton of time uh, here on Wednesday night with the context. Basically, Apostle Paul was sent to plant. Thanks, TJ. Uh, was sent to plant churches um, in the Gentile in the Gentile world, meaning the non Jewish folk like me and you. And, um, he did this in a place called that was called Asia minor. It's modern day Turkey. If you look on the map and in those areas, there were three mission trips that Paul took all over the the known world that at that time, there is some disagreement over when the churches were planted, uh, the reality is that churches were planted and this was probably the earliest letter written in the New Testament uh, around 49 AD. So not a ton of time after the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Um, but ultimately Paul went into this area of Asia Minor, uh, Galatia and planted, preached the gospel, saw people receive the gospel, stayed and appointed elders and planted a church. Paul then went about his business doing other things and through through conversations and through letters, obviously communication with other people. What he found was that this these churches in this area of Galatia were being attacked by false teachers who were going into the churches and basically doing two things. They were attacking the credibility of the apostle Paul. Right? That was one of the things that was a common attack and a common theme by false teachers, which to go in and to attack the credibility of the apostle Paul. Listen, if you can, if you can discredit the messenger, you can discredit the message. Right? Works all the time, right? That's what politics is based on. Go after the character of the individual and you will completely undermine his message. We just saw that and we see it every time there's an election, right? The other thing they did was they went after They went after the gospel. They went after the heartbeat of what makes the gospel the gospel. And because of that, why the letter is written is secondary in importance to what the letter actually contains. And what the letter, these six chapters of this letter contain, is the greatest teaching on the gospel in the New Testament. Right? It really lays out why the gospel is such an important thing. So for clarification, let's... Let's do this. When I say the word gospel, the Greek word for the gospel means good news. So everybody say good news, right? Not good advice, not good advice, but good. It's reporting something that happened, right? When you you log in or watch news on TV, unfortunately what you see today is more advice Opinion than news. News is actually reporting something that took place, a declaration of an activity that happened. The gospel isn't good advice. The gospel is good news, right? And just the whole idea of the word suggests a couple things to us. First of all, if we're sharing the good news, we should share it in a way that reflects. That when you're telling the person, they know you're giving them what? Good news. Right? Unfortunately, we share the gospel in a way that's incredibly argumentative and hateful and demeaning and judgmental at times. And guess what? That's not good news. You get it? Right? It doesn't work that way. Right? The gospel is simply good news. And the gospel is centered around According to 1 Corinthians 15, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are the three, right? Those are the three components of it. Galatians really fleshes out what that looks like and how that plays out in the lives of us as believers. And here's what I know. If you stick with us through this series, whether you're here, watch online, or or listen to it later through the Church Center app, here's what you're going to find. For Christian people, this is an absolutely essential series because too many Christian people are stuck in this cycle. Guilt over a behavior choice that leads to shame, that leads to fear, that leads to anxiety and depression. Tons of Christians live constantly in the cycle of guilt, shame, fear, and anxiety and depression. And then we, because we're geniuses, we treat anxiety and depression and never get to the real problem. The letter that Paul wrote to these churches will get to the real issue. Because if you can't get to the core issue of what causes guilt, you're never going to free yourself from feeling shame. You're never going to ever going to ever going to get away from fear of what it's going to cost you by the mistakes that you made. And then you're never going to get past the anxiety and depression. We take medications. We do all of these things to cope with our anxiety and depression. When at the core of a lot of it, is the guilt we feel over what we do. Because I've done this long enough in my personal life, not even counting being a pastor, to know this, that the Christian life is full of great days and some really stupid decisions. Can I get an amen? Right? And the struggle for most Christian people isn't loving Jesus. It's believing that what he said is 100% true. And if you believe in Jesus, there is no guilt. There is none. It doesn't belong. And the reality is this letter, if you're a believer, is going to give you the ability to learn how to live rent free in that guilt district. If you're a non-believer, if you're a non-believer in this room or watching online, here's what I know. The system by which you live your life is not working. It's not working because you are dealing with the exact same things, even though you want to be free from religion and God, your system isn't working because you're still dealing with guilt, shame, fear, and anxiety and depression. You need to know the good news that Jesus provides for anyone who believes. Can I get an amen? Right? So this series will work for both of us because the content of this letter is so important. So let's jump into it. We're going to read the first 10 verses. So if you don't mind standing out of respect for God's word, let's just read these first 10 verses. It is always a challenge, and Ryan will tell you this. Um, Leah told me this. Listen, when you're trying to preach over a whole chapter, the way we break it up, that's a, that's a complicated thing. So we're going to try to walk you through the main points of this letter. Listen, you realize we're not going to get into huge, 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 deep, deep, deep dirt to do that. You can go to my Bible study and we'll spend two years in the book of Galatians just to make you feel comfortable if you want to do that, right? All right, Galatians 1, 1 through 10 says this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches that are in Galatians. So it's more than one church. It's more than that, just that one particular city. It's an area. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue or deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, actually from I, Even if I or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that I preached or we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned or accursed in the Greek language. As we've already said, and so now say again, if anybody, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Jesus. You guys can have a seat. So Galatians, in or out? Right? It's the big question that, that Paul challenges these people at this church with from beginning to end. How'd you get in? If you did that way, then why are you gonna to try to get out a different way, right? In or out, this is all about that. I entitled this sermon, deuces are wild, because you're gonna see in these in these points that, that, I, that I talk about, that we walk through, that there's two elements in each of these points, right? So we're gonna start with this. Why is there conflict at all, right? Why is there conflict at all? So we've got this church. Listen, you've been in... How many of you have been in church or churches over 10 years? Ever known a church to have conflict? Yes or no? Right? Just accept... It's not always pleasant, but you know it's part of it. How many of you have been in church over 20 years? Right? Conflict? Yes or no? Right? We've learned to accept it. And the reality is because we're people... Listen, because we're people, there's always going to be conflict. Right, we don't agree about lots of stuff. Some of you think it's too cold in here tonight. I can tell. Right, some of you are thinking, "Why is it always so stinking cold in here?" And some of and some of you are sitting back there going, "Holy cow, it's hot in here!" Right? Always have conflict over dumb stuff. Right? We divide. We divide in conflict over listen over just about anything anymore. We've become such. We've become such a a sensitive society that we divide just about over everything, right? Everything is offensive. And listen, I'm 54. So I grew up, I grew up back in an era where in the Midwest, there were things that we thought were funny that I know today weren't funny at all. They were simply offensive, right? I know that some of the stupid jokes that we told or were told when we were growing up as teenagers were incredibly offensive and racist. I know that, right? And, and because I know that, I know that, n- I know that now, even when I was learning it back then, it was wrong back then. I was just too dumb and naive to understand it, right? There are, listen, there are things that divide us that should divide us. And there are things that divide us that should never divide us. The apostle Paul says, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here and say this is the single biggest reason why we should be divided. Why we should know who's in or out. Because of the conflict. Listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2 and verse 10. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man. I don't even want to get started, right? I will just say this. When when other men designate you as an apostle, you're probably not. Okay? Paul, an apostle, a messenger of God, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. That's how he starts. And then he says in verse 10, listen to this. This is the why we've even got this conflict. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Because if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why the conflict? Because deuces are wild. Here's the two reasons, persuasion and pleasing, right? Listen, I wanna, I wanna paint a broad picture here because this is the conflict that isn't at the church level. It's a conflict that Paul addresses at the church level, but this conflict is at a cosmic level. It's why Paul decided in the church, you have to do it. Listen to what Genesis 3.15 says. I've preached this verse a hundred times. I was told in Bible college, it's the most important verse in the Bible. I didn't believe it for almost, almost 15 years of ministry because I didn't understand it. When God finally showed me why this is the most important verse in the Bible, the Bible finally became something that I could understand from God's story. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God creates them. They're perfect. They're cruising around. They're doing their thing. They're naked. They're having a blast, right? Serpent shows up and says to Eve, what's the deal here? Can you not just have fun and enjoy everything out here? And Eve says, no, 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 we can't. We can do, listen, we can do a lot of things around here, Satan, but there's one thing we can't do. We can't eat of this tree and we can't even touch it or we're going to die. And the devil says, well, that's a shame. God's just trying to keep you from being like him. He just wants to be the only one. He says, that tree is for you. She looks at it and says, Mmm, it's appealing to the eye. It looks good for food. It's, it'll do just fine. And so she eats and she convinces Adam to eat. All of a sudden, the bliss of a perfect relationship with God is marred, right, is marred by the knowledge of good and evil. Because all of a sudden, people who were naked... Listen, I'm 54 years old. I'm no longer in college basketball shape. People who are naked and unashamed amaze me. Right? They amaze me. These people were naked and unashamed. We always assume they've got perfect bodies. How do you know? Right? How do you know they were perfect? All I know is this, is they were naked and unashamed. Why? Because they had no knowledge of good and evil. But when they got the knowledge, they were afraid and they covered themselves. Where did that come from? It came from Satan. And here's what God said to him in verse 15. I'm going to put enmity right I'm going to put animosity, conflict between you, Satan, and this woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He, now we've gotten a specific offspring, is going to crush your head and you're going to strike his heel. First prophecy of scripture, and here's the prophecy. Satan, it's time for me and you to have it out cosmically. We're going to fight over who is God and I'm going to raise up a champion from Eve and he's going to kill you. That's the first prophecy. It's the whole story of the Bible. The Bible is built on that one verse. What happens in the cosmic battle that God plays out here in our lives? And guess what? Satan has been trying to be God from the very beginning. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14 says this. How have you fallen? How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star? He's talking about Satan, Lucifer, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Listen to this. This is, this is God's created being, right? Created according to revelation in perfection, right? It says this, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, right? Right? I'll sit enthroned on the Mount of the Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, which is ultimately what the Antichrist does in the Holy of Holies when he creates the abomination of desolation. He moves in to represent that takeover. He says, I'm going to ascend above the tops of the clouds and I'll make myself like the most high. Listen, why is there a conflict in this church? Why is Paul, why is Paul just not going, ah, it's not a big deal. Because at the heart of this conflict, when he says, am I here to persuade man or to persuade God, right, is this battle. And the battle is between God and the devil for who reigns supreme in eternity. Satan said, I want to be God. And God said, there's only one God. And Satan said, we'll see about that. And that's what happened. He went after the creation. The creation fell. God promised a victory. And Satan went out to prove that God couldn't keep a promise. Because what better way to tumble down a God than to get him to become a liar? And so that's what God and Satan have battled over. For all these years, get Satan. Satan says, if I can get God to lie and not bring about Jesus, then guess what? I'm going to win. Didn't happen, did it, folks? Jesus came in spite of the efforts of Satan at work in the hearts of evil men, where God wanted to kill them all, right? When Noah was on the earth, kill them all, he said. I'm going to start over, right? What did he say to Moses? I'm wiping out the nation of Israel because they're stubborn, stiff-necked hypocrites. And Moses, I'm going to start with you. And Moses said, you can't do that. Why? Because you made a promise. And God's kept that promise throughout eternity. And eventually Jesus showed up. And eventually Jesus did exactly what God said he would do. Hebrews 2 says he crushed the devil. He destroyed him who held the power of death. That is the devil. Can I get an amen? Right? He destroyed him. Right? But Satan hasn't. Listen. Satan isn't going down easy. And even though he's been disarmed. And the only thing he's got left to do is to lie. He still wants to be God. And ultimately eternity will play out when Satan is finally cast to the, to the earth forever out of the presence of God. And we will have the battle of Armageddon on this nation or on this soil, on this, on this world where there will be a physical battle between the army, armies of the enemy and the armies of heaven that will play out. But until then Satan's got a plan, Satan's got a plan. And you know who the plan involves? It involves you. It involves you. Because if I can get these people, if I can get these people and these people, if I can get this person to think that there's a different God because besides the God in heaven, then I can begin to win this thing. And so you know what he does? He tries to convince us that we should be persuading men and not God. And here's the great thing about that Greek word, the Greek word for persuade comes from the Greek word pistis. And pistis is the Greek word for faith, right? We're saved by what? Faith. Persuasion in who? Persuasion in God. Here's what Paul says. Every false religion doesn't concern itself with being about being persuaded about God. Every false religion concerns itself with persuading men. Creating faith in mankind to follow another man. And if you can have a follower as a human being, you can become a what? You can become a God. Why do you think Paul... Listen, if you read this letter, just even in English, you're going to know Paul's ticked. If you read it in the original language, you're going to see Paul uses some slang words that could be considered cuss words. And Paul's going to make a declaration to the people who are perverting the gospel to where you're going to go, I can't believe the writer of a book of the Bible said that. Because at the end of the day, the conflict is a necessary conflict. Listen, I want to be a part of a church that fights over one thing. And that's making sure that the gospel is never perverted. I don't want to fight about, I I just don't want to fight about anything. Honestly, I don't want to fight about stupid stuff. But I will fight you tooth and nail on the gospel. Because the gospel can never be con- perverted because at the, at the core of perverting the gospel is the cosmic conflict between God and Satan. Who's the boss? And every time Satan wins a convert to a human being who convinces himself that he's God and has to persuade men to follow him or to please men for their approval, we lose. We lose. And it happens all the time in churches, right? Paul says, listen, I'm not, listen, I love all of you. And I will say it to the people online, even though I'm not sure who's watching, right? I think I love all of you too, right? But I don't, I'll be honest with you. And and listen, I'd be lying if I said, it doesn't matter to me what you think about me, but I'm not here to please you. And I am certainly not here to persuade you to follow me. That would be the biggest mistake of your life, right? My, my, my job is to make sure that you are persuaded by God to trust in Jesus. To me, every, to me, everything else is secondary. I've done almost everything in the world that I wanted to do when I was busy serving myself. And I decided I wasn't, when I got back into this, I wasn't going to do anything to try to serve God and what he wanted. And I know at the core of what God wants is to see people far from him be connected to him through Jesus' sacrifice. Can I get an amen? And that means we can't ever pervert the gospel. Here's what I want you to know when you read through this letter. The reason why there's conflict is because this thing is connected to a cosmic reality of who's God. And it ultimately boils down to this. Is this about persuading and pleasing him or is this about persuading and pleasing you? And false religion always makes man the object of faith, always the object of approval. True religion always makes God the object of our faith and the object of our approval. Can I get an amen? That's why you've got to stand for that. You've got to. That's what Joe preaches about. Right? I know sometimes you can think to yourself, he says the same thing every week. Here's why. Because at the core, we're seeing churches pervert the gospel. It's not becoming important anymore. And listen, it's not just the liberal churches. It's the conservative churches too that have perverted the gospel. And I'll prove it to you. Second point, how the conflict starts. Uh, verse 6. Check this out. So we got why the conflict. Here's how the conflict starts. I'm astonished. And that Greek word has a very soft, a very soft approach to the listener. Okay? He didn't write, I can't believe how stupid you people are. In the Greek, the word astonished comes with a very gentle spirit. A reminder... That he pursues later in chapter 6 when he says, If you catch a brother in sin, you who are spiritual will such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see, we don't know how to confront sinners without being condemning and judgmental. And angry and frustrated. And we want to shake them and we want to get on them. And listen, Paul had every right to be ticked at these people. But his approach was first filled with grace and love, right? We're like, we got to go with truth. We got to lead with truth. Listen, you never throw the right hook until you throw a few jabs, right? You soften them up a little bit. You know how you do that with words of gentleness, with words of humility, with empathy and understanding. But most of us, if we're parents or if we're, or if we're just friends with somebody and we see them doing wrong, we just come out with the right hook, right? Like you have any idea what you're doing and Paul said, I'm astonished. A very soft and gentle word in the Greek language, right? He used self-control. It says, I'm astonished. Why? Because you're so quickly deserting, right? A military term describing describing a, a, a soldier who deserts from their unit and deserves death. So these people weren't considering it. They were actually fleeing the church and the gospel, they were deserting it and deserving of death. He says, the one who called you by the grace. They weren't leaving the church, they were leaving Jesus. He says, of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Here's, here's deuces are wild. Here's how, here's how the conflict starts. Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. We'll talk about that phrase in a minute. And are trying to pervert. Everybody say pervert. Come on, everybody say pervert. Pervert. There you go. Pervert. I just wanted to hear you say that word in church. Pervert. The gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let him be eternally condemned. Listen. First of all how you feel. Listen, if you come in here and start telling me about, you saw an angel and God's giving you a message, right? And this is, and listen, you, you, listen, I felt it. I, I don't care. I don't care because the truth isn't based on how you feel or what you experienced, right? It's based on evidence. And the truth and the evidence points to one thing and one thing only. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And people witnessed it. Your vision that you had when you dreamed about an angel who spoke to you isn't sufficient, right? Epistemology, right? The idea of where does your argument come from, right? Like, listen, that's, that's, that's always been my thing. You tell me, listen, I don't, I don't believe you. Okay. Why don't you believe me? And where does that idea come from? Well, it doesn't matter where it comes from. I can just tell you I don't feel this. Okay, great. That's not a sufficient argument. I need your why. I need to know where it comes from. The epistemology or the root of why why Jesus is the only true right, arbiter of the gospel is there's historic evidence. There's fact behind it. If an angel comes to you, you're like, oh man, it was overwhelming. I felt it and this is what God... No, no. Or if you decide, you know what, later on, I'm just going to change my mind. You know what, I've grown up. I've matured. Or as Joe likes to say, I've woke. No. No. Paul says if that happens, whatever gospel you bring, and the person that brings it should be eternally condemned, cut off from the grace of God. And of all the things that we do in church, it's the one thing I feel the same way about. I, I'm an incredibly, I feel like I've grown to be an incredibly patient and tolerant person. I never used to be, but I feel like I'm learning how to accept a lot of stupidity and move on with my life, right? But the older I get, the more adamant I become about the gospel. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you bring to your appointment with a living God. If it's not the blood of Jesus, it won't work. I don't care if you and I differ on tongues. I don't care if you and I see baptism not exactly the same. I don't care if we disagree about a style of worship. I don't care if you disagree with whether I should wear t-shirts when I preach. I don't care. I don't care if we get up here and do something stupid on stage and you go, why are we doing that? I don't care. What I care about is our people who've never been washed in the blood of the lamb being washed in the blood of the lamb. And here's what I know how the conflict starts. People trouble, right? The Greek word for trouble, it says, It says, can you bring uh, verse 7 back up? I think it is. Um, Yes. Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. I hate that translation. The Greek word has to do with grabbing something and violently shaking it. Right? And just shaking it and creating an uproar in it. He says, this is what people are doing. And this is how conflict starts. Right? It starts in the cosmic realm. Listen, don't get, don't get sideways and think every conflict is rooted in people. There is a cosmic battle playing out in this church every single day. Every day. It plays out here too. And it starts with people who like to agitate and cause trouble. People who want to come in and people who want to shake things up. I don't have any room for that. I don't have any tolerance for it. And one of the great things that I get to do as a staff person in my role and as a, as a pastor in this church is I get to, I get to confront that. And I'm not a big fan of confrontation, but I've got no qualm with that. Listen, the minute you decide to become an agitator and a troubler who creates division, man, you're, I'm I'm coming to find you. I'm coming to find you, whether you're on staff or whether you're in this church, because here's what I know. Conflict here that's connected to a cosmic conflict always begins when somebody begins to agitate. And you're going to say, well, I'm just trying to make things better. No, you're not. You're just trying to cause trouble. Because if you want to make things better, you can do it without causing trouble. You can just do it. Like, listen, I've got a... I'm a terrible person, right? So... I'm just hard to live with. I know I'm hard to live with. I know I am. I know I'm hard to live with, right? So there are days like I've got I've got a wife, I've got a dog, I've got a 25-year-old, I've got a two-year-old grandson, I've got an 18-year-old daughter, and we live in an apartment that we rented without without preparing for a 25-year-old or a two-year-old son. Okay? It's messy. And I'm at a point in my life I don't like messy. I want simple and clean. I want to come home and be, I want to be. I want to be comforted in the peacefulness of my house. And you remember, do you remember raising a two-year-old? They're nothing but just trouble and messes everywhere, right? They bring out all their toys, they throw them on the ground, they break them, they leave them. And my daughter, who's working midnights, going to school and raising a toddler, she's not the greatest at picking stuff up. Right? And here's the thing. I can be, listen, I, I, can, be, I can be passive-aggressively stupid, right? And I can come in and I can be so frustrated and I'll, and I won't, and I, here's the thing. I can, I can, I can make things better without causing trouble. Can I, you know what I can do? I can keep my mouth shut and I can just go pick up stuff and I can just clean up and help. But you know what I do instead? Well, you know what I do instead, right? You don't. I don't have to explain it, right? You got the picture, Right. Listen, when you start saying, listen, when you start saying, listen, I'm just trying to make things better and your mode of operation is to cause trouble, you're not making anything better. And here's what I know. Conflict in a church always starts with troublemakers. Troublemakers. Problems are always solved by people who solve problems. Not by people who go, I can tell you what's wrong with your church. Who cares? I can tell you what's wrong with my church. Right? Like, all right, we can't pay you for that, but thanks for contributing. Right? It. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. Conflict, conflict in churches happen when there are troublemakers. And here's what ultimately troublemakers led to in this cosmic conflict. He says, they begin to pervert right the gospel the greek word for pervert means to reverse right we think of the word perversion and we get to thinking about stupid stuff right the greek word for perversion doesn't just mean change it means to actually reverse and this this is the core of why paul jumps into this let me just read some verses to you okay i'm going to i want to skip hebrews 11 and i want to skip matthew 14 and i want you to go to romans 321 right? This summarizes the gospel better than any text in all of the New Testament, in my mind. It tells you exactly what the process is. He, Romans three twenty one through 26, he says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law has been made known. Listen, leave it right there. Bring that verse back up. Here's what he says. You, You now are going to be told a new way to be right from God and you don't have to be a person who keeps every rule. Can I get a what? Yeah, amen. Listen, if God and I can be right and I don't got to do everything perfectly, please tell me what that is, right? I mean, there are marriages that are dying because that's what it feels like to one spouse. I can't ever get, I can't ever do anything right. And because of that, my relationship's never going to be good. We've got teenagers that feel the same way. My parents are never going to be okay with me because I can't do everything right. That's way too much pressure, people. And here's what he says about the good news. There's a way to be right with God. And you don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be perfect at it. And I just say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let me hear it. So here's what he says. He says in verse... Keep going. To which the law and the prophets testify. This has been talked about since the Old Testament. It's not a new thing, right? It's new because we finally got rid of the old thing, but this is what it's been pointing to the whole time. He says, here it is. This righteousness, this way to be right with God comes through what? Come on, everybody say it. Comes through faith in who? Listen, kissing and pointing to heaven when you hit home run ain't faith in Jesus, Right? It's just something stupid teams like the Cardinals do. Who cares, right? He says, "This." sorry, sorry. I'm using this as therapy too. So just, you know. He says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to everyone who what? Believes in who? Believes in who? Believes in Jesus. And here's what he says. There's no difference. There's no difference. Why? Because all have sinned. We've all used the knowledge of good and evil to our own detriment. Can I get an amen? He says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the standard of God. But we are what? Justified. The Greek word for justified is a legal term. It means to be declared. Everybody say declared. To be declared not guilty. Hallelujah. Right? We are declared not not guilty, freely. Everybody say the word freely. You can't earn God's approval. Right? You get the not guilty verdict freely by His grace through the redemption. That's purchase price. Right? It costs something, but nothing to you that came by who? Jesus. He goes on to say, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement, a sacrifice of covering through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his what? His justice because in his forbearance, he had left all the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just in the one who justifies. Listen, here's what I know. Perverting the gospel means changing the order. And listen, here's the order. Listen, the order is this. You and I are sinners. Can I get an amen? Every person in here and every person watching online knows good and evil. We all know the difference between being naked and unashamed and naked and afraid, right? Because we know good and evil. Here's what all of us have done with good and evil. At some point in time, we've done what? Listen, if you know good and evil long enough, you eventually do what? What? Come on, say it. I've done evil. Right? And eventually, all of you, because of the knowledge of evil, have failed to do good. Right? We need some help. How do we get right with God when we have failed Him? There's only one way, according to the gospel. That is to accept the free gift of God in Jesus' death for your sins. That's it. That's it. And here's what I know. The gospel says you get declared not guilty based on what God gives you, not based on what you earn. Right? Here's the problem with so many Christian people. They're sitting in church tonight, watching church online, and they know good and well they want to believe that, but the minute they walk out of here, they convince themselves, I've got to earn God's approval. And I can prove it to you. How many of you don't pray enough? And feel bad about it. How many of you don't read your Bible enough and feel bad about it? Right? And why do you feel bad about it? Because you think God's what? Disappointed in me. Why? Because you're trying to earn something. Can I explain to you something? The gospel doesn't have anything to do with what you deserve. Well, I don't deserve it. Well, of course you don't. You don't deserve it at all, but here's the problem. That's even a dumb response. Deserve ain't got nothing to do with this. You know why we have this? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Right? We're just, listen, here's the biggest reason why this, this has to be addressed. Because there are people that want to tell you, want to tell you, if you want God to be okay with you, you've got to earn it. Sanctification leads to justification we call those people hypocrites, self-righteous. It's what has it is what it is what has destroyed the conservative church. You know, we got this big fight, oh, the liberal churches are killing the movement. No, they're not. You know what's killing the movement? Conservative churches that teach self-righteousness. That's what's killing the church. It's the perverted gospel. The gospel that reverses the order and says that sanctification, holiness, leads to God giving you a not guilty verdict. Where the gospel says God gives you a not guilty verdict and that leads you to want to live a life of holiness. Can I get an amen? And that's what churches change all the time. We will tell you sitting up there, oh, you got to accept Jesus. But the second you do, start failing. And here's what we'll tell you. We don't know if you were ever a Christian. We don't know if you're still saved or not. Where does that come from? It comes from a perverted gospel that has convinced you you have to earn what God says you can have for free. That right there is why I'm still in ministry. It's not because of the money. And it's not because I get along with everybody so well. Right? It's not because the hours are great. It's not because the demands grow lighter as I learn more of people's stories. I'm in it for one reason. Because I want that truth to be preached over and over and over and over again. Because here's what I know. When you finally accept it, Titus says this, it's the grace of God, the knowledge of how the gospel works that will eventually teach you to say no to the things that God wants you to say no to. And because we have so much history to see people, oh, people take advantage. Get over it. People take advantage of goodness and kindness until they finally figure out how blessed they are. And then all of a sudden, you got yourself a good person to be around. My mom was one of the sweetest people in the entire world. She was so kind to me. And I took advantage of her and treated her like garbage. Sorry, mom. Right? Until I finally grew up and realized, man, what a blessing I have had by a mother who's treated me so well. And at the end of my life, I never took advantage of it at all. And I guarantee you, my mom would have said, I would take that, I would take that equation every single time. But we panic. It's like, oh, they became a Christian. Well, they got drunk yesterday. I thought they were a Christian. You don't think that you can be a Christian and make a mistake and get drunk? Of course you can't. Well, you're saying that grace is a get out of jail free card. Of course it is. That's the way it works. Well, I'm going to test that theory out. I don't know about you, but I did. I spent seven years testing that theory out. I didn't pay attention to God. I didn't go to church. I didn't serve him. I was busy out trying to make money. I was busy out making all kinds of terrible sinful decisions because of the knowledge of good and evil. And seven years later, God showed up and said, hey, guess what? My faithfulness, my faithfulness is still intact and my mercies are new every morning because great's my faithfulness. You ready to move on? Took seven years. And you know what? (laughs) I can't tell you how many churches and how many people wrote me off and said, because I hadn't earned God's approval, I probably wasn't a Christian. That right there is the greatest enemy in in the church today. Listen. Liberal Christianity is not the greatest enemy of the church. The greatest enemy of the church is perverting the gospel. And a perverted gospel does this. It reverses the order. You earn your salvation. Where the true gospel says you get your salvation for free. And listen, it's going to take you a minute to learn how to live in that goodness. It's going to take you a minute. Because listen, the minute somebody is good to you for no stinking reason, you don't know how to handle that well. We we mess that up all the time. And then one day we go, wow, I'd like to do that better. Why do you think parents want to kill their kids all the time? Because kids don't know how to treat the goodness and love of a parent. They turn around and they're like, no, I'm not doing that. And then we say stuff like, well, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. That's not helpful, right? True, true true love just keeps keeps and keeps because eventually the knowledge of that goodness and grace will teach us to live mature lives listen the whole letter hinges on those two conflicts right they hinge on those two conflicts listen to this listen to these these verses and i'm done okay you all heard the buzzer right i gotta start silencing that thing right So check out, check out these verses, Romans 4, 24 and 25. But also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. It's given to us. For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus from the dead, He was delivered, same Greek word used to, used to describe our deliverance from the present evil. He was delivered over to death. Why? For our sins. And was raised to life for justification. You, you didn't deserve that. You didn't do anything to earn it. He just did it. How about this one? Romans 5, 6-8. through 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, we couldn't fix our problem with God. How did we get it fixed? Christ died for the ungodly. You, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. He's talking about deserving, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were undeserving, Christ died for us. Listen, you're never going to get it. And you're never, ever going to fail to pervert the gospel until you get at the core of the gospel. Jesus did what he did, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you. And he loves me. He goes on to say this, God demonstrates his own love for in this while we were still sinners undeserving. Christ died for us. How about this one? This is one of my favorite. First Peter two twenty two. The set of Jesus, quoted from the Old Testament, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, right? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Why did he do all that? So he himself could bear our sins in his body on the tree. So that we might die to our sins and live for. Righteousness. You want to know how you die to your sins? You first and foremost accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You cannot die to your sins until you die to them in Jesus. Because if you simply die to them, it's just a matter of self-willpower or self-will and self-control and self-willpower. And the reality is that ain't going to save a soul. You got to die to your sins in Jesus so you can learn to live in righteousness. He says this is where this famous verse is at in the context of Jesus saving us. By his wounds, which wounds? The wounds on the cross, you have been healed. That's how you got saved, right? For you and I were like sheep who were going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And then First John 4, 10 says this, this is love. Does that have anything to do with deserve? If your love for people is... Pre- Listen, my, my best friend gave me a lecture this weekend while he was here. And he said, you know, we were talking about something I believed in. And he said, I "I know what you're saying is true. It's It's an ideal, but we're not ideal people. And I get that. Listen, I get that. But we have an ideal Holy Spirit in us. We have the presence of God in us. And the Bible says that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if we want to represent who God is into the world that we actually live in, we're going to have to do a better job of, of, of getting our humanity to settle down and let the Spirit live in us. And here's what he says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation, a payment for our sins. Listen. We're going to go through this book. It's a great letter. I love it. I love it. And what I love most about the book isn't why it was written, the situation that created it. What I love about the book is it absolutely makes makes a statement that the only place to really, truly have conflict is at a level of a perverted gospel. And all a perverted gospel is this. It's the devil's way of trying to get you to find another God for approval. Either God's going to be your approval or man's going to be your approval. And if you want man's approval, you need a a man-made way to do it. Which means you and you and you and you and me have to earn it. I don't know about you, but I am sick of religion that tells you you've got to earn anything. I want to believe in the gospel that Jesus gave his life for me and it's offered to me freely freely through simply accepting him in faith. If I do nothing else in my entire life worth noting except stand in pulpits over and over to preach that gospel, I'll be perfectly fine. Because to me, that's the only thing that truly matters. I don't know about you, but I I wanna learn from, from this conflict. I want you to learn from it. And what I want most of all when we get through this is if you're a Christian, I want you to be free. I want you to be free of a self-condemning religion that says you've got to earn something. I want you to learn to do for God because you love Him and you're grateful for what He did for you. I don't want you to do it because you sit all your time at home and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you are afraid and you got anxiety and depression. I want you to do it for the right reason. I don't want you to pervert the gospel. And if you're not a believer in here online, listen, I want you to recognize your system is broken. It's creating the same stupid things. And there's hope. And it's found in the person of Jesus. Alright, let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. You, Paul says in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. To anyone who believes. And Lord, I pray that I pray that for every person in here who's accepted Jesus, Father, they will put their complete trust in the true gospel. The gospel where Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again for us to take care of all of our issues with you and to offer us that sacrifice absolutely free. We just have to believe it. I pray that this church will learn that lesson, that these people will teach their children that lesson, that our neighbors will learn that lesson from us. And I pray for anybody that's in here online, Father, that's never found a way to be right with you by their own life. That, Father, through your word and through the presence of your spirit at work, that you will quicken their heart and their mind to feel that pull, that tug of a God who loves them and that ultimately would lead to the submission of confession and acceptance of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.